Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Here we go. Here we go. Beginning 2021. Can you feel the energy? Can you feel the shift? Ultimately, I believe that uh, in order to experience a new year is not just a, a change in the date, but as a state of mind is a change in consciousness, is a decision that starts within. And uh, I couldn't think of anyone better, folks, than my friend who I'm about to introduce you today. I had the pleasure of interviewing her quite a few years ago for a summit I did and was blown away. Every time I have the opportunity to see her, to meet her, you know, she just greets me with such radiance and love, unconditional love is what I've always felt from her and just such a warm heart. And I think you're going to be really blessed uh, by her knowledge, her wisdom, her insight to help you kick off the year and to help you create a miraculous 2021. Not sure how 2020 was for you. I know for many of us, it was deeply challenging, but I'm sure with her help, we're going to have a miraculous year ahead. She is the number one New York Times bestselling author of, uh, of Happy for No Reason, uh, Love for No Reason, which I really enjoyed this and love that book. She's a transformational teacher, an expert on happiness, success, and unconditional love. The amazing, amazing, did I say amazing, Marcy Shymoff. Marcy, welcome. Thank you, Coot. I always love to get to be with you. You are one of the most extraordinary human beings that I've gotten to meet. And so anytime I get to talk to you is a joy. It's awesome. So uh, here we are, you know, in beginning 2021. Ending 2020, uh, it's been an intense time, an intense year. So there's a lot of questions I have for you in terms of how to how to really recreate ourselves and and create miracles in in the year ahead. Uh, for those that may not you know know of your work or your background, uh, I, I just want you to just set a bit of a context in terms of uh, who you are and and a bit about. You know, how did you get started in this field as a mm. transformational teacher, a leader? Marcy, I read that like you sold over, was it 15 million, if not more books? I mean, I didn't even know this. It was like, wow, I knew you sold a lot of books. So you've obviously achieved a lot of success. Every time I meet you, you're just so humble and grounded. And so just share with folks, how did the journey begin mm. for Marcy? How did it start? Were you always yeah. this way? Was it always like you just kind of... <laughs> radiant and enlightened, so to speak, or what? what yeah. You know, it's, since I wrote a book called Happy for No Reason, I, I most often get asked, you know, were you born happy? And the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I came to this work. I'm the least likely person to be teaching about how to live a miraculous life because really? I was born, I was born depressed. Wow. I came out of the womb with existential angst. 
Mm. Um, I had a great family, great upbringing. And yet I felt like I had this heavy weight on my shoulders always, even as a young child. I've come to believe now that I probably have just been carrying some heavy duty ancestral <laughs> lineage karma, mm-hmm. uh, or, or, you know, just the, that, that that's, um, there was just this heaviness in my heart mm-hmm. and I, sugar became my, my way to get happy. I became a sugar addict early on. And when I was in high school, I was about 35 pounds overweight Wow! And only became more depressed. And so when I was in my 20s, I did what I think most people do. I set goals for myself. And I thought that if I got those goals, Mm. then I'd be happy. And I'm just going to share them with you because I think a lot of people can relate to this. I wanted five things. I Mm. wanted to have a successful career helping people. I wanted a, a great husband or life partner, fabulous friends, a comfortable home, and the equivalent of Halle Berry's body. Uh-huh. Now, I got four out of the five. I don't have Halle Berry's body, but I have a healthy body for which I'm very grateful. And so I worked really hard to get all my ducks in a row to you know, have all that happen. And I had a turning point moment. I had in 1998, I was, I was the, as you know, I was the co-author of the women's books in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And I had three books in the top five on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time. Wow. I, had, I had just given a speech to 8,000 people and I had autographed 5,432 books. Mm. And I felt like an author rock star. And I had all these other things, all those other goals in my life. I could have checked them off. Mm. And after I autographed that last book, I went up to my hotel room and I walked over to the window. Had a, it was in Chicago, had a beautiful view of Lake Michigan. And I took in the view and I turned around and I fell onto the bed and I burst into tears. Mm. And I burst into tears because I realized I had everything I thought I needed in life to be happy. And I still had that emptiness in my heart. And I knew that I could no longer continue to fool myself into thinking that just the next thing was going to do it for me. Mm. And so that's when I kind of dug deep into the research on happiness. I interviewed all the top researchers and and interviewed a lot of what I call unconditionally happy people. And I started doing what they were doing and Mm. it worked. And so I would say back then I would have been a D plus in happiness if you were giving me a grade. And now I'm, <laughs> I'm an A. I'm still a work in progress, but I'm, in, I'm solid there. And, and so I've, I've really um, found that, that the success part doesn't bring the happiness, but that the happiness does, in fact, bring greater success. I've had more success since I've been happier. And, and statistically, we're finding that that's the key there's a reason for it. So, so that's a little bit about my journey. And then just maybe about eight or nine years ago, I started re- waking up every morning feeling like I wasn't just happy, but I, I felt like I was living a, a miraculous life. There were just wow. every day there were miracles. So I started now teaching about how to have a miraculous life. So that's the mm. back story. Beautiful, beautiful. In terms of happiness, then I wanna, I wanna jump into miracles because that's something that, that has always interested me my whole life. Um, when, 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 when you were, like, what, what was there a, like, when you were in your room and mm-hmm. you had everything, you're crying, you did your research, 
Was there something that shifted in you? Was there a moment? Was there an aha? Was there like, was there one thing that made the difference? Was there a series of things that really like turned? It took it from just an understanding because I think there's a lot of information on, oh yeah, eight things to be happy. Do this, do that, do that. So much information. Mm -hmm. And yet many of us still are not. And so I'm curious, mm -hmm. what was the internal shift? What did you do inside? Yeah. Was there anything? So there were, yeah, that's such a great question. There were two things actually. One was I, one piece of research for me made everything make sense. And that piece of research was that we all have a happiness set point. Mm. And no matter what happens to us, whether it's good or bad, we will tend to return to our happiness set point unless we do something to change it. And so this is why I could get all my goals. I could reach them and I would be happier for a little while. But within a few months, you actually acclimate to that new thing and you'd return to your original happiness set point. And my set point was low. Mm -hmm. And and the set point, the way it's determined, is it's 50% genetic. You're born with it. I did not have mm -hmm. the good happiness genes. It's only 10% your circumstances. And yet that's what we're all chasing after to get happy. Yeah. And it's only 10% yeah. of the equation. And then the other 40% is our habits, our habits of thoughts and behavior. And then, as you know, Coot, there are people in the field of epigenetics that mm -hmm. study our genes, our DNA. And they say that that 50% that's genetic can also be influenced or changed by changing our habits, which means that 90% of our set point can be changed by changing our habits. So for me, that was like, you know, I'd heard before how important our habits are, but that piece of research really hit home for me. And then the other thing that shifted for me was talking to these people who were unconditionally happy. Mm. and seeing that they had lots of challenges in their life. It wasn't that their life was all, you know, just like daffodils and, and all flowers and, 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 and cupcakes. It was, it was, they had challenges, but yeah. they all shared one common belief. And that common belief was that we live in a friendly universe that we live in a benevolent universe. You know, Einstein said that the most important question we can ask ourselves is, is this a friendly universe? And these people would all say yes. Now, that didn't mean that life went their way always, the way they wanted it to go. But what it meant was that they believed that life was for them, that they were, that, that life was, was rooting for them. Life was on their side. And so... If something would happen to them that they didn't like, they would, instead of feeling like a victim, they would ask a question, an important question. And that was, if this is happening for a higher purpose, or if this is happening for me as a gift for me, what's in it for me? What's the gift in it? What's the higher purpose in it? And I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's so interesting to look back at 2020 and see how did people handle 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Did they look at it like, oh, poor me? Or did they go, okay. This is, you know, there's a gift in this for me. And what is that? You know, for a lot of people, this was a fantastic opportunity mm -hmm. for a major reset. And they took advantage of that. So mm -hmm. that was a big difference for me. Instead of, of always going into the poor me, I shifted yeah. into life is for me. Mm. What about someone who, let's say, they're listening to this conversation and they're saying, okay, Marcy, that's, 
I get what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I, I understand what you're saying. Kind of believe what you're saying, but 2020 really did suck. You know, uh, I lost my father. I lost my mother. I got COVID. I got this. I lost my job. It, the, the reality of my life, Marcy, sucks. It was The reality was terrible. It's not just my imagination. Uh, I, I'm kind of... Mm -hmm. you know, my, I, None of my dreams manifested. I'm filing bankruptcy. Uh, right. how, how can I be happy for this? I mean, what, what could possibly right. be in it for me? I mean, what, what, what would you kind of say to mm -hmm. that person? Well, first of all, I totally and completely understand that. You mm -hmm. know, this is, I am not talking about spiritual bypass. Yes. Where you don't feel the grief or you don't, feel the sadness or you don't feel the loss or the mm. fear mm. that's i i'm 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 but instead you walk towards it that's yeah. the big difference instead of resisting what it is you you open to it and walk towards it and i know that sounds airy fairy and woo woo and you know like oh yeah that's easy for you to say but I, i'll tell you um my husband you know sergio he did mm. lose his mother last in this last year in 2020 and then less than four months later he did lose his father and you know so i know i understand mm -hmm. what it's like and i saw him go through this with with so walking towards the grief and mm -hmm. facing the grief and embracing the grief rather than resisting it and so what I would say is, you know, when any time in the olden days, when I used to have, when I was in a room with audiences in the room, mm -hmm. I would often ask the question, how many of you have ever had a crisis or a challenge in your life? And a hundred percent of people raise their hand. We all have. Mm -hmm. And then I ask for how many of you, was that one of the biggest blessings in your life? It turned out to, in the long run, be a big blessing. 99% mm -hmm. of the people raise their hand. So what I would say is to really fully open to embracing whatever it is that's coming your way in terms of your feelings. Mm. Um, a friend of ours, Arjuna, uh, mm. Arjuna Ardok, who yeah. has a saying that any feeling fully felt will transmute into love, will turn into love. Mm. And so if you can just really feel whatever it is you're going through, not in an indulging way, yeah. But in an opening and embracing way, I, I have a little analogy that I use. It's, it's, I call it the bathtub method. I mm. imagine that I am in a warm, delicious bathtub, which I love. Mm. And I invite in whatever it is that's challenging into that bathtub with me. And I just feel it. And what happens is it does melt. It does then go down the drain. That, so that's one place to start. Then the next place is imagination mm. um i i i love i love the the concept of imagination i think you do too Kud. i think we're mm -hmm. we're uh, <laughs> we're, yeah, sure. we're on the same page on this for there's sure. a um i was just talking to um uh, if i can just relay a, a really quick anecdote about this yeah. i was just having a conversation with one of my mentors the amazing gene houston Mm. And she was telling me how when, when she was in the fourth grade, Jean's entire fourth grade class went to uh, talk with Einstein. So here we wow. are back to Einstein. And uh, pretty cool, right? <laughs> 
We didn't do that in my fourth grade class. <laughs> Our field trips weren't to visit Einstein. Um, and, and she said that one of the kids raised his hand and said, Mr. Einstein, how do I get to be as smart as you? Mm. And Einstein responded, read fairy tales. And none of the kids liked that answer. You know, they thought that was silly. So one of the other kids raised his hand and said, okay, Mr. Einstein, how do I get to be smarter than you? And Einstein said, read more fairy tales. Mm. And uh, at this, uh, Gene, who was very precocious even back then, said, Mr. Einstein, are you talking about imagination? And he said, yes. He said, people think I'm really, really good at mathematics. I'm not. I have other people do the math. But what mm. I'm really, really good at is imagination. Wow. And Einstein was also known for saying imagination is the preview of life's coming attractions. Mm. So what I've seen is that everything that you want to have happen starts with, with imagining it. opening. So if you've had a really sucky year, then fully feel the feelings that go with it. Allow yourself to feel the loss, the sadness, the grief, the fear, whatever it is. Let those be there so you're not bypassing. But then move into imagination. Mm. Move into what can you imagine to be what it is you want for this year. And, and, and I talk about it in terms of, of imagining from your soul, not from your ego. You know, at the beginning of the year, people set goals for themselves or resolutions or what I call intentions. But most people completely set them from the wrong place. They set them from the place of their ego. And the ego is always going to make you feel contracted. It's always going to make you feel um, just not great. It's going to feel like an effort from the ego. But the soul... When you have soul intentions, you're going to feel expanded. You're going to feel, you know, this place of, of, of magic or miracles. Mm. And so imagine from that place. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Imagination. Such a powerful thing. Uh, opens up, I think, our creative juices. And I think that's when we begin to really tap into our own internal resources to fulfill what we're imagining. Um, for those I that mean, might... Mm-hmm. I could. I have to just back up and ask you a question because I know your life is all about. You've imagined. I mean, you imagined this amazing podcast. Yeah. You've imagined. It all starts there. How do you access yeah. your greatest soul? You know, <clears throat> I used to. I talk about imagination. When I was a kid, uh, Marcy, I would. You know, I didn't grow up with very much, and my my father's a minister, right? And so we didn't have a lot, and and literally we lived behind my father's church, and. I, my bedroom was literally the size of my toilet, my bathroom right now. And it was that mm-hmm. tiny, just fit a bed. And I would imagine myself speaking and teaching. And I'd, I would literally sneak into my father's church in the middle of the night because we live right next to it. And with the lights off, I would speak to the empty chairs, you know, hundreds of chairs, but imagining people, you know, imagining faces of people and audience lighting up and smiling and laughing and clapping. And so it's almost like I... I, I was experiencing it before it even happened. And there are many moments when I was actually on stage over the last years where it was literally like deja vu and replaying the past, but in the present, you know? And so I believe in the power of imagination. 
So, so yeah, strong. I mean, there you were. Imagination is the preview of life's coming attractions. Mm-hmm. And but the other thing I want to point out about what you just shared, Coot, is that your soul guided you to do what you're doing, to be a little kid and standing up there and imagining people in those chairs and talking. That I don't think was from your ego. That wasn't like, yeah. oh, let me be big no. and let me prove myself or any of that. It was Not at all. and the ego, it's really from the soul. And that's mm-hmm. when it works. I mean, what I find is that people set ego-based intentions mm-hmm. and and they might achieve them but it's not going to bring them the fulfillment that they want because it's not connected. It's not aligned with their soul. Let me just give a simple example because it's New Year's time period. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people set goals for themselves in January. And by, I think it's something like 92% of people by the end of January have not, have have given up on what, whatever their intentions Mm -hmm. or their goals were. Um, you know, so it's not, there's not a lot, lot of, not a lot of great stick to it factor. And I believe it's because they're coming at it from the ego. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a, a common one that I found that people set, which is about losing weight, you know, mm-hmm. beginning of the year, time to lose weight. So mm-hmm. what people will do is say, you know, I'm, I'm losing, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. So if you set the goal, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, what happens is, there's this contraction. It doesn't feel good. It's like all this restriction and, you know, okay, yeah. I'm going to have to do this and do that. And it just, it, 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 I can feel it in my body. It's, it's uh, contracting. But the soul has a version of that same goal, but it sounds very different. And the soul's version would be something like, I'm fit and healthy in a body that radiates on the outside who I, my essence on the inside. And it's like, oh, yeah, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And it might not be those words, but it's that feeling. Oh, I'm fit and healthy, radiating on the outside who I am on the inside. Now, that's a soul-aligned intention versus I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Got it. So let, let, me, let me see if I can clarify, because I was going to ask you, and you're kind of touching on it, but I, I just want to clarify for those listening in. Uh, my question was really connected to what you're saying. What is the difference between let's say an ego-based goal or intention and a soul-based goal and and intention. And how do we really distinguish, you know, let's say someone wants to have the Haley Berry body or like, Oh, I want that Ferrari or I want those nice Mm -hmm. shoes or like, is that an ego-based intention to have the nice shoes or or are you saying that it's not so much the goal it's where you're coming from about the Uh, intention? It is. It's where you're coming from, from the intention. Mm -hmm. Do you want that, Ferrari or those shoes or that body because you want to show it off to people because you Mm -hmm. want people to approve of you because you want to Mm -hmm. feel more important because it's what you feel like you need to approve of yourself because none of those are all ego-based intentions then. Mm -hmm. But if you want that because it's the greatest expression of what you're feeling inside and you like you know, like I love color. So mm. for me, I just, if I have a lot of color on me, I, I just, I feel expressive of my soul. So that's, it, it's, it's really a matter of, of where are you coming from? And if you, in fact, are coming from needing that because you need approval or because you think you need it to prove yourself to yourself, 
then that's the place to start in terms of doing the work. Yes. Got it. Got it. So, so for those listening, we can have amazing things, right? We can have oh, absolutely. manifestations. It's not like, you know, having the shoes or what have you is, is not uh, spiritual. It's, it's really where we're coming from. And the outer manifestation becomes a way we get to express our own soul's radiance and magnificence. Yes. Yes. And ultimately, you know, I, I it's ult- ultimately, I believe that we have a purpose here on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think to look at that can help answer that question. Yeah. What's you know, our purpose? Pe- well, people who've had near death experiences and have, you know, of course, are here to speak about them. They say that at the end of our lives, we, we in, the, in that transition, we actually have, uh, we're asked two questions. It's mm-hmm. like a final exam, but it's an open book final exam. And the two questions are, how much did you learn your life lessons? And I think each of us have different life lessons to learn. It's like we have a curriculum and the courses that I signed up for are not the same necessarily as the courses you're signed up for, though. Kud, I'm glad I think I'm in some of your classes. <laughs> I like being in those classes together with you. Um, so that's question number one. How much did you learn your life lessons? And question number two is how much did you grow in your capacity to give and receive love? And, and I don't mean love in that conditional sense. I mean uh, what I call love for no reason, which is an, an inner state of peace and well-being that doesn't depend on our circumstances. So how much were you able to really be a vehicle of the divine flowing through you, which means love. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what our life is about. So very often our life lessons, the things that come to us that are challenging are there because they're they're our curriculum, you know, rather than bemoan the fact that, I mean, I'll just be very, blunt and uh, and honest with you about what I know my life lessons are. One of my life lessons, besides learning how to be happier, I think that was one of them. One of my lessons is around um, self-doubt. Mm. I have had, you know, a lifetime of self-doubt. Wow. And it's not an easy thing to actually speak in front of 10,000 people and, and do <laughs> the kinds of work I do with self-doubt. Mm. So I've really... You know, and, and it's not that it goes away, it's that mm-hmm. it comes back at a, at a different level. Like, you know, it's like a spiral. It just, the tests come back at higher levels. You know, first I was tested in a smaller way and now I keep getting tested in bigger ways. And so for me, it's been about really deeply aligning uh, with myself, doing what I know to be right and and not looking outside of myself, but looking inside for validation and doing a lot of healing around, around um, the part of me that's, that's been wounded and that's been very self-critical. So, so, yay, okay, I get to take class in self-love, self-compassion, and self-acceptance. That's one of my pieces that's of curriculum. Yeah, what's one of your pieces? Wait, wait, I want to know what's one of yours. Before we go there, I just I okay. just a thought. When... You experience self-doubt, okay, mm-hmm. and it comes up. Let's say yeah. you're about to go on stage, and it's so yeah. interesting, like the person who has a curriculum on self-doubt, uh, 
it, it, you're speaking in front of 8,000 people. You know, that's what a perfect classroom, right? And so right. when you're in that moment, like, oh, self-doubt is, 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 is in your consciousness, what do you do in that moment so that you don't let it totally hijack you? You don't let it run you? Because I think a lot of us don't step into, we don't step onto the stage. We don't write the book. We don't right. put ourselves out there because we let the self, uh, self-doubt uh, mm-hmm. self-criticism run us. What do you do? How do you handle it in the moment when, when mm-hmm. it can seem so strong for some of us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done different things at different times in my life. I, I mm-hmm. believe in having a great toolkit. And so I have a really, really good toolkit. And sometimes I'll do uh, tapping, EFT tapping. Um, sometimes I'll do uh, the work of Byron Katie. Sometimes I'll do the Sedona method. Um, I just pull out whatever tool is most useful for me in that moment. And I'll just tell you these days, mm. uh, I am doing some brilliant work with uh, working with um, uh, Margaret Paul, whom I think you know. Mm-hmm. She wrote mm-hmm. Inner Bonding. Yep. And um, a lot of the work that I'm doing has to do with recognizing that uh, I'm telling myself something that's that's causing me to feel self-doubt mm. and that a part of me that's telling me something that's causing me to feel self-doubt is a wounded inner child. It's not the truth. Mm. And I then connect up with my higher self and I, I ask, what is the truth? And I allow that to come through. And the more I practice that, the better it gets. And so I think that while there's a curriculum for everybody, there are also different answers for people. And so I really believe in, in, in exploring what are, all the, what are all the processing tools and what resonates most with me at this particular time in my life. Got it. Got yeah. And, yeah. And, and really having self-compassion. Yeah. Like, okay, what's that part of me right now that is saying I'm not good enough? Mm. Um, and how can, I, how can I embrace her, hold her, and say it's okay, I've got this. And then for me, the answer is always higher self. It's always higher self. Mm. And it's showing up prepared. Um, you know, It's doing the things that are going to make me feel more comfortable in a situation where you know, where I'm, I'm going to be speaking to 10,000 people. Got it. Got it. Wow. Beautiful. I, I, I'm still, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Coot. Yeah, I know no, that you're no, no. asking me questions, but I want to know, what do you think <laughs> is one of your biggest life think, lessons here? I think I've had several, but I think one of them growing up has been the sort of theme of over-responsibility mm. and, and you know, taking care of my mother, taking care of people as a child, taking care of everyone's feelings, kind of feeling responsible for, for people. And so I've had to learn to just, I guess this, you know, that part of love sometimes is allowing people the space to just have their own growth and evolution. And so, you know, growing up with this need to be needed and caretaking pattern as a way to be needed, as a way to feel valuable, uh, that was something really hard to to unhook myself from, you know, so, so, so like now I'm in this field of, you could say in quotation marks, uh, supporting people, helping people, but also learning to do it in a way that isn't, uh, over responsible. 
And so mm-hmm. that was that was that was a big thing for me growing up, and uh, uh, I, been a lot of healing around that. I, really I think just, that is, is such a big thing for so many people, and I have to say because of the work that I do is so much with women. Mm-hmm. I find that women are so um, overly responsible. They're really great at giving and not as great at receiving. Uh, mm-hmm. Either you know giving to themselves and receiving that, or receiving from other people, and um, so that's a. I, I think that's a that's a common curriculum. Yeah, it was a big one for me for sure. Uh, I want to shift to mir- miracles. Okay. And the miraculous, you know, yeah. with 2021, this is a year. Let's create some miracles. You know, I'm 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 kind of glad 2020 is done. And uh, I'm ready to create some miracles in 2021. I'm sure others are. Everyone listening in, hope you are. Uh, well, you talk about the miraculous, Marcy. And you, you were talking about now your life seems to be in a miraculous zone. I guess let's just first define what do you mean by miraculous? Are we talking like Jesus-type stuff where people are popping up and you know, money's falling from the trees for you and deals. Like, what do you mean by, by the, mir- the, the miraculous that we can create a context mm-hmm. for people? Then I yes. want to know, like, how do we, how do we bring ourselves into that zone in a way that is, uh, I don't want to say systematic or is there a formula for that? So just mm-hmm. first define what you mean so we can get on the same page. You bet. So the word miracle, according to Webster, Uh, dictionary is a surprise and welcome event that can't be explained by science that's often attributed to divine grace. Mm. So a miracle isn't something we can actually create. It's something that we can open to. We can create the conditions for miracles to flow in. And what I mean by miracles is it's, it's just synchronicities. It's life feeling like it's in the flow. Like you're walking down the street and the person that you need to meet um, shows up. Um, the, the, the phone call comes right when you need it. Um, amazing opportunities show up that are beyond even what you've hoped for. You just feel like life is in that flow. And that's what I mean by living in the miracle zone. And, and as I said, you can't create miracles, but you can create the conditions. You can set up the conditions for the miraculous to flow into your life. So we can't create miracles. We can create the conditions. How do we create the conditions? What, what goes into creating the conditions? Well, I, 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 again, I did to, I did to um, the miraculous the same thing I did to the subject of happiness and the subject oh. of love. I interviewed people who were living in that particular way. Mm. And I found what are the commonalities? What are the keys? And in happiness, there were seven main areas that to raise your happiness set point. And in terms of living a miraculous life, I found that there were five main keys to living a miraculous life. And mm. I, I put them into a little formula I call usher. It's as though you're ushering in the miracle zone. Usher. And Usher and the U stands for universe. It's what we've already spoken about, trusting in the universe, trusting that we live in a benevolent, friendly universe that's on mm-hmm. your side. So instead of showing up like a victim, 
why is this happening? You show up like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to trust. There's something in this mm-hmm. for me. What's in it for me? Mm-hmm. Um, then the S in Usher stands for soul. And it has to do with listening to our soul. And then we've also even spoken a little bit about this. You know, it's, we're so used to either listening to the voice of our ego, what we should be doing, what other people think we should be doing, what we should be doing to prove ourselves versus listening to our soul. And that, that is just a major, major key to putting ourselves into the miracle zone is to really be silent enough that you can listen to what is your soul saying to do. Mm. You know, and I, I, as you know, you, you and I both are big, spent lots of time meditating. We've spent lots of time doing some silent things. So whatever it takes for you to listen to your soul could be being in nature. It's where you hear your soul. I listen. I can hear it most clearly first thing in the morning, right, right before I'm waking, right between that sleep time and the waking up time. And uh, some people refer to it as the gap, the gap Mm -hmm. between sleep and wakefulness. And I have such great clarity then. I also get great clarity in the shower. Um, I've learned it. I have a little uh, pad that I have in the shower that uh, mm-hmm. where I can write down my ideas, a waterproof pad to write down ideas. So find where do you best listen to your soul? Mm. And then the H stands for heart. Live with an open heart. I have never found anybody living a miraculous life who wasn't open-hearted, meaning they are generous, kind, compassionate, loving, uh, and all of this is with themselves and others. Um, mm. Easy to forgive, you know, accepting all of that. So again, open-hearted for yourself and others. The E stands for energy, as we know, everything in the universe is energy, and it has to do with where are you putting your energy and attention. You know, are you, this is the greatest uh, resource we have is our energy and our attention. So where are you putting it? Are you, what we put our attention on grows stronger in our lives. So are you putting your attention and energy on what's working in your life or what's not working? You're going to get more of whatever you put your energy on. So put it on what's working. And then the R stands for taking responsibility for your life for your happiness, not not being a victim, but but being a um, a co-creator in your life. So those are the five main areas. And then and and I find that people are weakest in one of those five. Mm. So find where you're the weakest and put some attention there. Mm. Uh, and I uh, there's one that I there's one piece I want to talk about and go into further if, if we do we please have time go, to go a little yeah, further? Go for it. Go for it. So I want to talk about the area of love Mm. and specifically self-love because what I've found is that people, the miracles are everywhere in our life. They are. I, I, in fact, one of the, one of the practices I'm going to recommend that you do uh, just, just for the next week is just keep a little, little journal of all the miracles that are happening in your life, big and small, what's happening. That's good. Just write it all down because, as I say, what you what you appreciate appreciates. So, um, but what I found is that there's so much available to us, and we unconsciously are blocking it. 
Uh-huh. Blocking our good because we don't feel worthy of it. We mm-hmm. don't feel like we deserve it. And the truth is there is no deservability factor, worthiness factor in terms of miracles. We're all worthy of them, uh, but we just don't open to receiving them. And it's, it's because we don't love ourselves enough. We don't feel enough love that we feel worthy of receiving miracles. And the universe is only going to give you what you feel worthy of, of receiving. You're only going to open to it based on what you feel worthy of. And it's just like you've heard people can only give you whatever you feel worthy of, whatever you're open to receiving. It's the same with the universe. So I have a little, a little quiz to ask. There are five questions and see if you push away the good that's already coming to you. Okay. So here are the questions. Number one, do you have a hard time asking for support? Okay. So there's a lot of good out there. There's a lot of support out there. Do you have a hard time asking for it? Question number two, if people do support you, do you feel that you have to give back to them twice as much in order to feel like, okay, I'm worthy of that? Question number three, do you have a hard time accepting gifts or compliments? Somebody tries to give you a gift or a compliment do you push it away? Do you say, no, no, no. Uh, you know, it's, if somebody says you did a great job on that, do you say, oh, no, no, that was nothing. Um, if they give you a gift, do you feel bad about it? Question number four, do you feel guilty and downplay your good? If something good comes to you, do you, do you not share it with other people because you feel bad that you don't you don't want them to feel bad. So you, you kind of keep it to yourself rather than celebrating it. Oh, uh, this is so great. My life is so great. Mm. And then number five, this is where I got hung up. Do you feel like things should be hard or difficult in order to receive them? That if, if things come to you easily, like that's kind of cheating. Right. <laughs> so if you said yes to any or a number of those, then mm. Somehow you are subconsciously pushing away your good. So what I want you to do is start noticing how just throughout your day, how do you push away your good? Somebody offers to open a door for you. Do you say, no, no, I can do it. Oh, let them allow, allow good to come your way. Allow people to support you, allow great things to show up and, and acknowledge it and honor it. So if you start to push it away, notice it, Take a deep breath and then open to receive. So this is just a practice in receiving. Beautiful, beautiful. Allowing, I think there is so much support from the universe there. Uh, we're either not seeing or we're not fully opening to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's profound. Why do sometimes things seem to not manifest, Marcy? And I know a, a lot of folks talk about, well, Marcy, I am, I am focusing on what I want. You know, I, I'm taking the action. Uh, I, I, I watched The Secret. I read your book. Right. I, I, you know, I'm reading you know, Law of Attraction stuff. I'm doing my affirmations. And the shit's not happening. And, 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 right. and I actually know people who they really are like, you know, they're listening to the subliminals and they're programming themselves. And just things just don't seem to manifest for them. And, and so... Can you give any insight on, on that? What are they? Yes. Missing? Yes. 
I think there are three things that explain that. Um, and I hear that a lot as well. You know, having been in the secret, they're always asking me, you know, mm. oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this right, I'm doing this right, but it's not happening. So number one, there is such a thing as divine timing. Mm. It's mm-hmm. just that it may not have happened yet. It just may not have happened yet. Mm-hmm. The second thing is sometimes it's not meant to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a phrase that I love. Rejection is God's protection. Rejection is God's protection. Sometimes we don't get things or we get rejected from things. And it was the best thing in the world that could have happened. You know, I always say when I'm wanting something, I always say this or something better. We don't know what's necessarily best for us. You know, there's, I'm not the general manager of the universe. I can't, I don't know (laughs) what's the best thing. So sometimes it's just, okay, that wasn't meant to be. So it could be divine timing. Timing hasn't right. Rejection is God's protection. It could be, it's not meant to be. But the third thing is, it could be that you are not living in a state of divine grace. You are not living in the miracle zone. You are hanging on too much. Mm. And there's a great formula I learned a gazillion years ago before I even heard of the law of attraction. Um, it was when I was in my early 20s. Um, and it's it's three steps to manifesting. And I love it because it's it rhymes. It's simple. Mm. And it, 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 the three steps are intention, attention and no tension Mm. intention is to be clear about what it is that you want and from your soul not from your ego that's intention soul-based intentions number two attention put your thoughts your words your feelings and your actions behind it persistently i mean you know our our buddy jack canfield went to 144 publishers before chicken soup for the soul got published that's persistence that's attention not giving Mm. up But then there is the third step, no tension. No tension means you've got to be in a state of letting go, not grasping, not grabbing, not desperate, not needing, but a state of grace. That's what I call the miracle zone, that trusting in the universe. That's the energetic field in which our intentions happen in. I love it. Intention, attention, and no tension. Beautiful. How do you, I've always been curious, how do you, Marcy, uh, you know, you've achieved a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a personal question in a second that I would like, like to ask, but you've achieved a lot. How do you prevent from getting comfortable? Because sometimes when we achieve a level of success, we get comfortable maybe just doing the same thing, uh, giving the same speech, just just sort of resting, coasting, right? And And so... You've been doing this a while. Do you get comfortable? How do you prevent from getting comfortable? Mm-hmm. How, how do you stay motivated after 20, 30 years in this field mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to keep that spark and passion to, to speak and write the new book and create? Like, What stops you from getting comfortable? Um, I, I, I love your questions, Coop. Thank you. You're so deep. You're so cool. Um, I listen to myself Mm. and what's up in the moment, because I think there are cycles in life. Mm. You know, life goes in a cycle of rest and activity. Mm -hmm. And when I did the chicken soup for the soul books, I, and by the way, uh, I came up with the idea 
of Chicken Soup for the Woman Soul. It was the first uh, specialty book in the series. Nobody had thought of the series because I was away on a seven-day silent meditation retreat that our mutual friend Janet Atwood convinced me to go on with her. (laughs) And in the middle of the, and I was resistant to it. I hated, I didn't think I could do silence for seven days. I was a speaker. I I wasn't silent. But on, on the fourth day in the middle of the meditation, I saw a light bulb went off in my head and I saw the words chicken soup the woman's soul and i knew i knew that was it was like a a gift from the divine and i the only problem was i still had three more days of silence and i couldn't tell anybody (laughs) so but as soon as as the retreat was over i ran to the closest pay phone this was before cell phones and i called up jack and i said i've got a chicken soup for the woman's soul and he said oh my god that's it and um and a year and a half later i had my first book come out and 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 yet after i did seven of those books I, I was burned out. I knew I can't do this. I can't do any more of this. I have cooked enough chicken soup. And I had a, a rest period where, again, I went inside. And it was a, a, a year or two before I knew what was next. Mm. And then I saw what was next was happy for no reason. That also came out of a meditation retreat I was on. And and although I knew t- happy, happiness was my topic, but I didn't have the title. So um, that came to me on a meditation retreat. And then when when I, after I did a lot with Happy for No Reason and Love for No Reason, once again, I kind of went quiet. And mm-hmm. what is it, what's next for me? And then out of nowhere, this whole idea of living in the miracle zone and, and your year of miracles that I've been doing for the last eight years has come to me. So mm-hmm. I think it's a matter of really honoring the cycles that I'm in. And then also finding new things to do. Like right now I'm, I'm 60, I'm almost 63 and I just took up piano. I've wanted to play the piano mm. since I was six years old and I'm playing the piano and I'm, I'm um, learning racquetball or pickleball. And so just finding what's new and you know, what I've noticed and I'm sure you've noticed this is that the people who are the most young at heart, mm. people that I mm. most admire are lifelong learners they're always curious. They're always learning new things. And when, when I'm connected into my soul, that's exciting. If there's no boredom or complacency or any of that there, there's just, there's juice. And that's when I get bored, then I know I'm not connected to my soul. I love it. I love it. You know what I'm hearing also in what you're saying, uh, in between everything you said, is a lesson is go be be willing to be quiet be willing mm-hmm. to be still be willing to like because i heard you say meditation retreat meditation retreat a couple of times Marcy. i'm like huh there's something you know for those listening in there's something to like going inside within oneself meditating being still being quiet and what i love is many times i think we we create out of sort of this egoic need to like be productive or do something right and and yet you were willing to just be still for a moment listen and receive the deeper sort of download inspiration rather than just hustling more uh, and that's when like it's when you went within that's when chicken soup for the woman's soul happy for no reason the new ideas that the miraculous life you know year-long project came through so i think that's there's something to be said uh, for, like, being a uh, huge Huge thing to be said. I've been meditating um, since I was 16. Mm-hmm. And it is an enormous part of my world. It's not everything, though. 
Um, I think a lot of people think, okay, you just meditate and everything's going to take care of itself. That hasn't been what I've noticed. I've noticed that we meditate. That's an amazing piece of it. But then we also need to do our own personal work, whatever that is. Yes. Mm. So, yeah. Beautiful. You know, this is a, I mean, they're all personal questions to a degree, but this is a, a talk about miraculous, right? Um, I have so much respect for like what it takes to sell books and I don't want to make it about like selling books, but anyone who sold 14 million books is like, wow. Okay. My, my brain, my brain, Marcy goes, my brain can't, can't even fathom that number. <laughs> it's, it's actually coot. I have to say it's actually 16, 16 million, but who's 16, counting? 16 million. Like, but it's who's like, counting? It's hard to, like, like, it's hard to sell a hundred thousand books, literally like let, let alone 16 million. So, you know, I guess if I think about miraculous life, miraculous zone, uh, maybe someone will benefit from this listening. And one, one of the, uh, the miracles that I would love to create the conditions for is, is selling, let's say you have a new book coming out uh, in, in the next few months. And so like, I guess I'll ask it in, in a very sort of one dimensional way, Marcy, how do I sell 60 million books? Yeah. Well, <laughs> first know, of all, you have to tell us the name of the book. So we're all going to go out and buy it. What's the uh, name of it? The name is Magic of Surrender. That's oh, oh my God. Do I love that? Are you kidding? Yes. That is yeah. a, that I think is the number one prescription right yeah. now for what people need. So I, well, I, for one, will be happy to spread the word as far oh, and wide as I can. You. Thank you. Okay. Coot, I'm going to give you such a weird answer. Please. Are, are you okay with a super That's crazy, it. weird answer? I, I, you, you are the sort of like, um, you know, Jedi master of books and, and I'm just listening right now. So all right. Well, um, so along with doing uh, a million things in the in the in the world to, you know, I mean, there's there are things that we, we have to do to sell a lot of books. And I did yeah. a lot of those things. Um, but there's also timing, mm. I believe. Uh, so I have for many, many years, probably mm, at least, yeah, at least more than 30 years, I have regularly gotten Vedic astrology readings and Vedic uh -huh. astrology is the astrology of East India. And it's, it differs some from Western astrology mm -hmm. um, and they both have their strengths, I think. But one of the great things about Vedic astrology is specifically timing. And um, in 1990, I was told that in September of 1996, I would have a best-selling book. Mm. And I, left that astrology reading. I hated writing. I had no idea what to write about. I said, that is absolutely ridiculous. And I left that astrology reading thing, th thinking that I just wasted a hundred dollars or whatever, wow. the, whatever <laughs> the reading cost in those days. Mm. And I forgot about that, completely mm. forgot about it. Chicken Soup for the Woman's Soul, my first book came out September 15th, 1996 wow. and went to number one on the New York Times bestseller Come list on. that week. Come on. Wow. Before that book was even out, my astrologer said, Marcy, watch out. You've got another book coming out in October of, of the following year. And I said, oh, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. How, we couldn't possibly put out another book on chicken soup. The world will already have had two books on chicken soup. How much more can they handle? Mm -hmm. And he said, no, no, you should do it. You should, And it should be on mothers because it had to do with where books are in my chart and, and in, in the field of motherhood and all. And so I went to I went to Jack and the publisher and said, what about chicken soup for the mother's soul? And they said, well, OK, and let's bring it out in October of two, uh, 1997. And sure enough, we did. And 
It also went to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. Now, I, I, so uh, it's, I believe some of it is our timing, some of it is our destiny, so and some so of it true. is what are we doing on the ground to do. So the yeah. first thing I would say to you is get in the Vedic astrology reading and, <laughs> and actually pick the date, the auspicious date of the book release. Mm. I can't tell you how many times I've, every time, I've published a book. I've picked an auspicious timing for it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. sailing. If you're going to go sailing, you want to sail when the sailing, when the when the wind is good. That's mm-hmm. how I look at that. It's just another little helper. So that's one thing I would say. And then the other thing I would say is we should have a conversation offline sure. about sure. the 25 things that I did to sure. um, to make it a best. Amazing, amazing, Marcy. I just I just wanted to know how much I've loved this conversation. I feel like we could talk forever you've just shared so much practical uh advice and wisdom from your own experience and just you know just thank you for your generosity and uh final question is uh mm-hmm. as you look at 2020 uh it's been quite a year i would love to know the three most important lessons you have learned from 2020 that you feel you would like to share with those listening in what are the three mm. most important lessons? Oh, what a what another great question. I I looked back and I actually tried to do that for myself. I tried to summarize what what have I learned, mm. and or what what has worked for me in this year. I call it the year of the reset. So mm-hmm. it was just a total major year. Of, uh, I think it was a global reset, but also an individual reset. And there were three things for me that helped me. And again, they rhyme. I love these rhymes because it makes it easy for me to remember. Pace, space, and interface. And here's what I mean. I had been going at a ridiculous pace that was unsustainable for life. And it caused me to reset my pace. One of my, another great mentor of mine, Angelus Arian, used to say that nature's rhythm is medium to slow. Mm. Medium to slow. And when we want to be in rhythm with life, with nature, we need to set ourselves on the pace of medium to slow. Now, I can't say that I have mastered this. <laughs> I still tend to be a pretty fast paced person, but I have made more time for the pace of medium to slow. So that's number one. Number two is space, both our internal and our external space. We are very affected by our space. Mm. And I took time this year to create uh, more clarity in my space, my physical space. I did a lot of organizing, more beauty in my space. And then also my internal space. You know, what what I did a lot of work in cleaning out my internal space, my self-talk, my self-love, all of that. And then finally, interface has to do with our connections with people. I, I think I reassessed where my where my best connections were, and um, and those were my three for the year: pace, space, mm-hmm. and interface. And and Coot, I know we're coming to to a a, yeah. a, a wrap a close on this, but I want to I want to leave with one other thought, if I may. Please. Um, and that is, people often ask me if this is selfish you know our conversation that we've had is really about Mm -hmm. how we can be more conscious more awake and more more aligned more in the miracle zone and people say isn't that selfish what about the rest of the world don't we need to do something for the world Mm -hmm. 
And I deeply believe that when we are doing this for ourselves, when we are raising our own consciousness and living more of the miraculous, that mm. we are doing the most that we can do for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's summed up in this Chinese proverb that I love to share. It goes like this. It says, when there is light in the soul, there will be beauty in the person. When there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. Mm. When there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. And when there is order in the nation, there will be peace in this world. I love it. And that's my prayer and my wish for all of us, that we know the light in our own souls. And through that, we help create more peace on this planet of ours. I love it. Marcy, you are a true light. I mean, I feel you're light, even though we're not face-to-face in person. I feel we're mm. soul-to-soul. And, you know, just thank you for shining your light. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, amazing souls like you that have also open doors for people like me, you know, the sort of younger generation. So much appreciation, much respect for your love, your Uh, perseverance and just everything that you are. You've been a real blessing to the Soul Talk community today. I want everyone who's listening in, uh, I want to encourage everyone to to check out the work of the amazing Marcy Shimoff. Marcy, I want everyone to connect with you. Uh, You have a a year of, was it living miraculously? Yeah, it's called your... Yes. How can people can connect with that and, and, and take advantage of, of what you're up to and, and uh, please yes, share? Yes. So I have a year long program um, called your year of miracles and it's about living a miraculous life. It's about mm. how do I live in the miracle zone in every area of my life? So in the area of health, we spend a month on health and a month on relationship and a month on uh, money and a month on self-love and so it's really and people are having we have a community of of, of well over 3,000 people in the year-long program from 72 countries really creating an energetic vortex for the miracle so you can go to your year of youryearofmiracles.com also I have a free gift for everybody mm-hmm. um, it's a uh, an ebook called the four biggest mistakes that keep you from living a miraculous life and you can get that at miraclesebook.com. Miracles, plural, ebook.com. Awesome. And I just welcome everybody to live 2021 with, with me and us and this beautiful community in the Miracle Zone. Let's create miracles. Folks, you heard it from the amazing Marcy Shimoff. Miraclesebook.com. And uh, could you repeat the first link so everyone can hear that clearly? Yes. Youryearofmiracles.com. Awesome. Youryearofmiracles.com. Folks, we're going to post uh, all of those links in the show notes. Make sure you check them out. I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly heartfelt encourage you to check out all the, everything that Marcy's up to. Your life will be blessed. Trust me, you're going to create a miraculous 2021. Send me an email, everybody. Uh, I want to know, as always, your key takeaways from today's episode. Also, uh, do me a favor, share this episode with everybody in your life that you love. Let's spread the word. Let's live more soulfully and let's create some miracles. I'll catch you in next week's episode of Soul Talk. Marcy, love you lots. Thanks for coming on. Big hugs. Love you, now. Much love, everybody. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, 
Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.